0: DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University, a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Malachi and St. Kateri Tekakowitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Matthew.
1: Wonderful to be with you, especially uh, with the chance to continue our discussion about uh, one of my favorite doctors. We have been talking about St. Bernard of Clairvaux, somebody who lived from 1090 to 1153, who was part of the Burgundian French nobility, who felt called to the religious life, who wanted a life of contemplation. And he, of course, entered the, uh, the Cistercian Order and in very short order, was sent to establish the new community of Clairvaux, which became one of the great monastic houses, monastic institutions in the whole of Christendom uh, in the 12th century. And where we left off, uh, he had established himself as one of the great reforming voices in the church of the, the early part of the 12th century, and was trusted by popes for synods and councils, and, of course, in calling one of those titanic events of the age the Second Crusade. For our particular
0: purposes, in looking at the life of this great saint, talk to us about his role, his involvement in the Second Crusade.
1: Yeah, well, by way of providing a little bit of context, the, the First Crusade, which had been convoked, called for by Pope Urban II, right at the end of the previous century, had captured Jerusalem, the the great and holy city, in 1099. Unsurprisingly, there had been a harsh reaction on the part of the surrounding Arab states, Muslim states. And in the hard and bitter fighting that followed, the great city of Edessa and the county of Edessa, which was one of the Latin states in the Holy Land, had been captured uh, by one of the harshest groups of the Islamic states of the Seljuk Turks. The kingdom of Jerusalem that had been born out of the the capture of Jerusalem and the other Latin states in the Holy Land were facing attack from all directions. And the plea had gone out for a new crusade. And so what became known as the second crusade, was launched in 1146, uh, was undertaken. Now, as we saw with the First Crusade, there was an, an immense amount of zeal and enthusiasm for this. The Second Crusade proved something of a more difficult sell. Why? Because time had moved on. It was nearly 40-some years since the end of the First Crusade, and Europe was taken up with uh, schisms and wars, and, and the kingdoms were battling each other. And yet, uh, there was a desire to save, to make sure that the holy places were perpetuated for the Christian presence there. And so, the call went out for a new crusade. And one of the people who was asked to take upon himself the task of calling for it, going out across Christendom to appeal for support, was Bernard of Clairvaux. Why? Because he was known as one of the greatest preachers of his age, but he also commanded such enormous respect among all of the classes. And so uh, he was faithful to the request. As a result, uh, a huge army departed uh, for the Holy Land, including uh, forces uh, from Germany. And we're going to talk, I know, in a little bit about Bernard's efforts to prevent anti-Semitism attacks on Jews. But his impact on Germany was especially remarkable. The crusade, however, proved to be a failure. And the, the crusaders themselves, despite their large armies, despite the seeming prayerful support of everyone back in Europe, failed. Why? Because of internal squabbles, because of strategic and tactical disputes, because of the failings, spiritual and in in terms of their personalities, of the different leaders. Of course, when you have a disaster like this, people need someone to blame. And who should it be but Bernard? Finger pointing began almost immediately From the time of the failure of the crusade uh, from around 1149, Bernard was attacked, Uh, he was criticized, he was said to have misled people about uh, the promises of success, and the fact that there were reported miracles, sort of miraculous things that he was accomplishing, hence he developed the name of the thaumaturgist, of one who could heal, one who could perform miracles, only added to the criticism against him. Bernard felt compelled uh, because of the failure of the Second Crusade that he himself had taken upon himself to preach, that he wrote a formal apology to the Pope. And it was included in one of his writings called The Book of Considerations. And it's Painful reading, but he discusses how the failings, the sins of the Crusaders were the cause of this disaster. And not his own pleas, but it was too late uh, to salvage this crusade. And of course, he wished to try to apologize to the Pope to the whole of the church in, an, in a profound act of humility, but he bore for over a year almost relentless criticism and attacks on him personally, but he bore them with patience and humility.
0: The type of attacks that he would have sustained, I think for us, it may not be great, as greatly appreciated because it was such a different time. It wasn't as though media wasn't like the reporters were surrounding him and constantly being relentless. No, this would have come from the political leadership who wanted to take a lot of the focus off their own um, engagement and place it all on one person.
1: You know? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. when,
0: when you bring up uh, names like Eleanor of Aquitaine, I mean, for those of us who may not have a you know the fullest appreciation of those leaders. She just happens to have been the mother of Richard the Lionhearted. <laughs> yes, exactly. Who we would many of us would be familiar with with the tales of Robin Hood. And but her husband Henry the Second. This is the time of high-powered political authority.
1: Absolutely, at a time when the town crier, when the royal courts uh, were everything, they set the tone for what people were talking about. Mm-hmm. So the cities, the taverns, uh, the, 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 the parishes would have been filled with criticism of Bernard coming from the courts, coming from some of the bishops who were still jealous of his influence and who saw an opportunity uh, to, in their view, take him down a few pegs uh, to use the, the, the sort of the common parlance for it. And they wasted no effort Uh, in criticizing him, precisely because, as you said, it it took the attention away from them and their failures. And yet, for Bernard, here was this apology that he wrote to the Pope imploring uh, his forgiveness, but still speaking the truth. Why did the Second Crusade fail? Well, it failed because of the incompetence, the greed, Uh, The backbiting, the internal feuding, and just the the sheer personality disorders of those who were involved. And while it was a foretaste, tragically, of the failures of the subsequent crusades over the next century, uh, it was as well, I think, a powerful lesson for Christendom that Christendom, unfortunately, did not heed that if we're going to do a crusade, we have to have that zeal that we had with the first crusade, but we also have to have that fidelity to the church. We have to be pure if we're going to take this cause on. Bernard understood that, but he still bore the brunt of the criticism, as I said, for over a year, and I I, I do feel that it, it hastened his death.
0: I think we should address this issue just a little bit further in that for those who have heard in our own time period tales of the crusades from various secular historical perspectives, whether it's from a history class in a college or if it's on the cable news or on a a cable network, that the, the purposes for going into this particular second crusade were once again what circumstances, Dr. Bunsen?
1: Well, very briefly, the, the the places of the Holy Land had long been truly beloved in the Church, places of pilgrimage, places where faithful Christians would set out from England, from Scotland, from Germany, from Italy. Why to go to the places where Christ had walked? the place where Christ had been crucified, where Christ rose from the dead. The place where the martyrs had first proclaimed the gospel and had died for the faith. Well, the the pilgrim trails, centuries old, uh, fell under the control of the Arab Islamic armies from the eighth century forward. And as a result, From time to time, the pilgrim trails were menaced by different Islamic rulers. The situation became especially dire uh, in the early part of the 11th century, when the fanatical group of the Seljuk Turks were converted. These were wild horsemen who embraced the Muslim faith and thought they were doing the will of uh, their religion— by slaughtering pilgrims and, of course, waging a merciless war against the the fading Byzantine Empire. It reached the point where the pilgrim trails were so menaced and the Byzantine Empire so under dire straits from this new enemy that the Byzantine Emperor appealed to the West for help. And Pope Urban II picked up that cause and preached a crusade, not a war of conquest, not a war of uh, religious strife, not a war to destroy Islam, but an effort to send forth a prayerful army to defend the holy places, to make the pilgrim trails safe once again. And as you say, Chris, we can hopefully someday do a whole series on the Crusades. It's, it's, it's an amazing tale. But the motivations for the Crusades were actually entirely noble. We, of course, have to understand the context of the age. It was a violent time. And that's something that, that we need to appreciate today. It's difficult for us to do that. But the, the purposes of the Crusade, as I said, were not campaigns of conquest, but were actual acts of devotion and a desire to safeguard holy places.
0: If you can also help us have a perspective on the feelings of the populace towards the Jews.
1: Well, of course, one of the other accusations that uh, is often raised uh, regarding the Crusades was that it was an opportunity for uh, the church, and this is the accusation that's made, to perpetuate anti-Semitism. It is absolutely true that there was severe hostility toward the Jewish people in much of medieval culture. It is equally true, however, that the leadership of the church, from the popes on down, consistently tried to stamp out all forms of anti-Semitism. The calling of the, the First Crusade led to unfortunate, tragic attacks on Jews by fanatical, misguided, and sinful Christians. The same thing, unfortunately, happened uh, as a result of the calling of the Second Crusade. When the the, the Crusade was called, attacks on Jews were undertaken by mobs of Germans, by mobs of some French, uh, but they were especially bad in different parts of Germany. In order to deal with that, the Archbishop of Cologne, And the Archbishop of Mainz summoned Bernard to Germany with one task, and that was to use all of his influence to denounce the attacks and to bring an end to them. Why? Because the the church opposed the destruction of Jewish communities, the destruction of Jewish property, and Bernard traveled across the whole of Germany. He preached In Cologne. He preached in Mainz and silenced all of those uh, who were preaching that to be faithful to the the spirit of the Crusades, you had to attack Jews. So, Bernard's role in this, I think, is, is really worth celebrating. It's worth making note of the fact that this brilliant theologian was also somebody deeply committed to preventing violence against the Jewish people. And we have to make note of the fact that the popes condemned it, as did these major archbishops of their time. So it is a lie to say that the Church did nothing to condemn anti-Semitism, just as it is a lie that the Church encouraged anti-Semitism as part of the Crusades.
0: We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, With Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board and I, all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, What you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. You alluded to earlier his reputation, a mystic, someone who through him there was this experience of the miraculous. Can you speak to that particular aspect of his legacy?
1: Bernard was... Uh, indeed very much uh, a mystic. In other words, he was somebody who developed in himself a powerful contemplative life. In understanding Bernard, we have to appreciate that he was first and foremost a brilliant theologian. And the best way to approach that is to appreciate something that, that Pope Benedict XVI said about him in a reflection of Bernard's conflict that we're going to touch on briefly, I know, uh, with Abelard, which he said that Bernard had a single purpose, and that was to encourage the intense and profound experience of God. He said that theology for Bernard was an aid to loving the Lord ever more and ever better. And he quotes, for example, the the Treatise on the Duty to Love God, as Pope Benedict said, on this journey, there are various stages that Bernard describes in detail. They lead to the crowning experience when the soul becomes inebriated in the ineffable love. And he says that already on earth, the human soul can, can attain a mystical union with the divine word. A union that is, as Pope Benedict says, that Dr. Mellifluous describes as spiritual nuptials. The divine word visits the soul, eliminates the traces of resistance, illuminates, inflames, transforms. And In this mystical union, the soul enjoys great serenity and sweetness and sings a hymn of joy. This for Bernard was all so that theology could not but be nourished by contemplative prayer, the the union of the heart and the mind with God. This is, I think, key to understanding Bernard, and why I think he loved Clairvaux as much as he did, because this was the place where he gave himself, he received that strong medicine, and because of that strong medicine, he was able to find that mystical union, that serenity, that sweetness, and where he would be able to sing that hymn of joy.
0: Let's talk about Peter Abelard.
1: Yeah. Well, for Bernard, the, 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 the soul of theology is to encourage that intense and profound experience of God. At the time, we had the, the very beginnings of scholasticism, and we're going to be dealing with scholasticism a great deal over the next uh, weeks as, as we discuss the doctors of the church moving forward of Bonaventure and of course, Thomas Aquinas and Albert the Great. Abelard was kind of a herald of scholasticism, but he was also a great warning. Here was a brilliant theologian. We think of him best for his romance with Heloise, uh, with his uh, movement toward what is called nominalism in the school of philosophy. What he represented was a different perspective you know in, in abelard we have somebody who introduced the term theology in the sense that we understand it today what was for abelard though was a preeminence a dominant side to the relationship between faith and reason abelard put reason ahead of everything and he argued with his colleagues uh, he faced condemnation and while he died uh, in full communion with the Church, he he submitted readily to the authority of the Church. He nevertheless uh, faced condemnation, including by St. Bernard. Why? Because of what was the excessively intellectualistic method uh, who reduced faith purely to reason and therefore to opinion, who detached, revealed truth from theology. And Bernard had to stand him down. He had to face him down. And he did so in 1140. But he really did so, as he always did everything in his life, with great reluctance. Mm-hmm. He did not want to ha- make a public spectacle of theology. He felt that these were things that were too important. Uh, they should not be argued in, as though we're in a court of law. We are, as, as we've been discussing discussing divine truths the con- contemplation of god so he was forced to encounter abelard and he did so brilliantly though simply by having the accusations against abelard read out in public and abelard understood profoundly what was happening to him that he had encountered somebody who was speaking the truth and he withdrew from this this public debate And within a short time, after a prayerful meeting with Bernard, recanted, submitted himself to the authority of the church, and retired to Cluny, where he lived under the protection of Peter the Venerable, the abbot there, and and died there uh, just a few years later. It is a tragic story, but at its heart, I think, is the humility of Bernard, but also Bernard's love for the church and a desire not to destroy somebody, not to destroy Abelard, but to help lead him to the truth. And that, I think, is a lesson for us as we contemplate this great doctor of the church.
0: He also would have an influence, a great influence, on the work of another doctor of the church.
1: Yes, and we, of course, are talking about Hildegard of Bingen, Uh, who was uh, one of the most recent of the doctors of the church uh, and was declared a a doctor by Pope Benedict XVI in in 2012 along with John of Avila. I'm always trying to imagine the the back and forth that they, they must have enjoyed. Two saints who really trusted each other. Hildegard was looking for validation, but she was also looking for ecclesiastical approval for the visions that she had. And what did she do? She submitted her writings for review to the Pope, but also to Bernard. She wanted his opinion about things, and he gave her his opinion, but he also gave her his approval. And I think it was one of those really important turning points for Hildegard in her life that somebody of his stature, somebody of his holiness, should approve of her. I, I think when we look back on her development as a doctor of the church, that this is a really vital moment.
0: In wrapping up our conversations on his life and his, his teachings, I don't think we can forego his great devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary.
1: Yes, I, I think that is by far the, uh, the most fitting way to conclude any discussion of Bernard. As we saw in the first episode, he had an abiding love of the Blessed Mother. And in, in, in that, uh, he nurtured it and continued it uh, for all of his life. He made important contributions uh, to the field of Mariology. He stressed, for example, uh, Mary as Mediatrix. Uh, he preached beautifully uh, her role in the life of the church. And there is uh, a series of, of beautiful legends and stories uh, about his relationship with the Blessed Mother uh, that were preserved in in paintings, that were preserved in woodcuts. Uh, and when we think of Bernard, we think really of his discussion of her as mediatrix, but we also think of of beautiful description of her as star of the sea, uh, as our light as we travel the oceans of life. And in that, uh, I, I think Bernard made yet another lasting contribution. We, we can appreciate fully, I, I think, why he was named a doctor of the church in, in 1830 Uh, At a time when Europe was emerging out of the terrible Napoleonic Wars when the Church was trying to rebuild after the the terrible French Revolution, we were at the start of the Industrial Revolution and here was Bernard standing as a voice for contemplation, a voice for humility, but a reminder too that in the 19th century so much Marian devotion came forward the Immaculate Conception, for example, Uh, so many of her beautiful appearances, how fitting it was that Mary, the star of the sea, so honored by this doctor of the church, should come to the fore in such short order after he was named a doctor of the church.
0: Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. A a rather bold statement that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy help, and yet St. Bernard knew that prayer uh, was one that she would hear.
1: She would, and uh, he had great faith in that, and so should we.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Bunsen.
1: Great pleasure to be with you, Chris. Looking forward to our next episode.
0: You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this program along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax deductible to support our efforts but most of all we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for the doctors of the church the charism of wisdom with dr matthew Bunsen.